Hi there, and welcome to this week's episode of Let Me Pull On Your Coat. As always, I'm your host, Peter de Villiers, um, and in this podcast, I just go through some thoughts, ideas, things I'm seeing, things I'm reading, things I'm listening to, and sharing those with you. So, um, simple premise, thanks for joining me. First up today, as always, through my eyes, it's quite a very interesting idea. So this is um, Tom Bellew was interviewing Nicholas Christakis on his Impact Theory podcast. Um, and fascinating conversation, nearly two hours long in total. But there's a bit about um, artificial intelligence and how it affects our behavior. So things like um, uh, Amazon's Alexa and those kinds of um, assistant devices and how that affects um, our behavior, how we treat each other. So kids growing up not needing to be polite to the devices in the house um, have a propensity perhaps to not be polite to each other or to other humans. Um, but the bit that I found really interesting is um, how different people behave that um, some of the experiments that Christakis mentions um, and it, it's based on how you connect people together and, and connect people and the AI devices um, completely changes the outcome and he uses the example of carbon atoms so um, I can't recall the technical terms for this but if you you take carbon atoms and you connect them and arrange them in a certain way and the result is a material that is soft and dark um, and it's graphite um, but you can take the same carbon atoms and you can connect them or arrange them in a different way and then what you get is a substance which is hard and clear and in this case diamond so we're taking the same carbon atoms and depending on how we are connecting and arranging it, we can get these two very different materials. So soft and dark, hard and clear is not a quality of carbon. It's a quality of how the carbon is arranged. And what he goes on to mention is they've done some experiments where there's a task to complete and it's humans and AI doing it together. And when the AI displays the ability to be humbled and to make a mistake and to not be perfect. The humans in the group don't only behave better towards the AI, they also behave better towards each other and the way they treat each other. And they've done other experiments where you, you set the game up in a certain way and you connect people in a certain way and they are just... Without fail, you run that experiment with different groups of people and they are mean to each other. You can then take those exact same people and you set the game up slightly differently and the connection between the people are then different and they are extremely friendly and supportive. And it's just really interesting for me that within different groups or communities or, or whatever, it's perhaps the connections between these people that so determine 
how they treat each other rather than the individuals within those um, communities. Um, you can you can take, um, for example, take hardened criminals inside a high security prison. Uh, by all accounts, nobody's really nice to anyone else um, unless there's something to be gained or protection. Um, but those same people could be at home with their families and be extremely kind and generous and 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 even to each other. So it just depends on those connections. So um, just just something that um, I've been thinking about. And I've also this week, um, uh, Sophie and I went to Berlin for a few days, and it's a fabulous city. I absolutely loved it. Um, but it was also it also really made me think. Um, and it, it reminded me of the Edmund Burke quote, the only thing necessary for triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Um, and it's in, it, it just, there's so much of the history of Berlin. And for, for me, not so much necessarily the Second World War, but the Berlin Wall and, and everything around it that just, just really grabbed my attention. Um, and that quote um, resonated with me and, and I kept thinking about that with the different things I saw in Berlin and um, getting a real perception for the first time of the Berlin Wall, which has only been an idea and things seen on TV for me until now, but actually walking along a stretch of it and the history. And, and, and it's, it's very interesting. It's a very human history, the way they tell it and the way... I mean, it, it's just... Um, Berlin just seems to drip with history um, and and which and and the way it's part of the fabric of the city I think is fabulous it's not something that's been sort of brushed under the carpet it's a it's a harsh history um, but it's very much out in the open and everyone's aware of that um, which is which is is very interesting um, which also made me think um, and I'll drop this in as the pebble in your pond this week. We time scale for us humans is a strange thing because on the one hand we think life is really short. Sometimes we think a week is really long. Um, time's very malleable. And I listened a while back to two podcasts back to back whilst driving long distance on the motorway as long distance as you can in, in the UK at least. Um, and I now can't, I've got the two podcasts potentially mixed up. So the one was an interview with Jordan Peterson, um, who wrote 12 Rules for Life. And the other one was with the author of Essentialism, um, which I want to say is Ian McEwan, but I know it's not. Um, but two ideas that came out of it is the fact that um you 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 think of your life over a longer period of time say 80 years and what you can achieve and what you can do for that but what came out of one of these two conversations was that that is actually really self-centered um if you think about well what can i achieve in the next 50 years in the next 10 years and in, in the 80 years of my life um and to take a view and th and this this sort of comes back to arranging people and and 
um, good men doing nothing and the history in Europe and, and around the world, but is if you take the view that um, the vast majority of people, and I can't remember the percentage, but the vast majority of people do not know the names of their great-grandparents. I certainly don't know mine. Um, so it, it's then taking a view on your own life and say, well, okay, what am I doing or what could I do? What am I doing in my life for those who will have forgotten my name? So what are you doing for those people who will have forgotten your name? So um, not your friends, not your immediate family, not your children, not even your grandchildren. But when you get to great-grandchildren and beyond, people who might have forgotten your name, what are you doing to give them a better life so um, an interesting example is um, I saw a um, video with Guy Kawasaki um, tech investor and evangelist and he was talking about the fact that his grandparents left Japan um, and moved to the States they moved to Hawaii specifically and they didn't move there to become investment bankers or anything. Um, they moved there to pick sugarcane, I believe it was. And then his parents got sort of white-collar office jobs. And he then went to Stanford and carry on from there. And he made the point that the real, the game-changing decision wasn't him going to Stanford. That wasn't the decision that had the biggest impact on his life. The decision had the biggest impact on his life was the bravery of his grandparents to actually leave Japan and move to, to the States and the unknown of that. So what decisions are you making now? And how conscious are you at the potential impact? And it doesn't have to be negative. I mean, it can be massively positive impact for your great-grandchildren and for the people who will perhaps have forgotten your name. Um, so I'll, I'll leave you with that. Moving on to what I'm reading. Um, excuse me, let me grab some water. So I've been reading um, whilst flying and, and being in Berlin. I've been reading Surrounded by Idiots. Um, by Thomas Erickson and the four types of human behavior or how to understand those who cannot be understood um, I know full well why the topic of the book appealed to me and quite quickly in the book he also explains um, uh, my personality type so it's basically the four personality types you've got red yellow green and blue um, and it's very it's been very interesting for me to um, to recognize my own behavior. Um, I'd say I'm definitely um, I'd probably ninety percent red with a little bit of blue thrown in. Um, most people are a combination of colors, but heavily weighted to one. Um, and it's also really interesting going through and recognizing the behavior in other people. So the, the people I'm, um, my business partners and, and family and friends and recognizing um, situations where you can see how there's conflict between the different um, 
different types of personalities. But a, a thing that he mentions quite a few times in the first half of the book is just this idea that communication always takes place from the perspective of the person receiving the communication. No matter how you intend to say something, it is always interpreted within the context of the person you are saying it to. And therefore the onus is on you to communicate in such a way that it makes sense to them, Um, which is not always easy. Um, and will depend how hard that might be depends on your personality type but yeah so surrounded by idiots Thomas Erickson I'm about two-thirds of the way through it and finding it very interesting Um, and I dare say I'll get through it quite quickly and um, perhaps a different book next week so then going on to the record of the week um, and it's Tony Cox Cool Friction So Tony Cox is an acoustic guitarist, grew up in um, what was then called Rhodesia, so um, in Southern Africa. I I listened to this because we were traveling and we were in Berlin. I actually listened to very little music this week. Um, I've only listened to three albums, um, which is is really strange for me, um, and I was very aware of it. But I listened to this. Um, one afternoon and started thinking about the album and so I first came across Tony Cox didn't know anything about him never heard of him but my mum used to write the newspaper reviews for concerts in the local theatre and and stuff growing up when I was a child um, in Bloemfontein and she had tickets to write a review for this and she took me along. So she always got two tickets and would take us or someone along. So she took me along to this and it didn't take long for me to be completely blown away. So I remember at the gig, um, the drummer on the gig was Barry von Sale. Um, it's just incredible musician. He also played for a South African band called Squeal. Um, but I was just completely blown away. The guy played drums in a way that I'd just never seen with percussion mixed in, and it was brilliant. But also Tony Cox's guitar playing was just incredible. And then um, I, I got the album that night, so this was 1997. And then at some point, um, I also um, played some gigs at the Grahamstown Music Festival, and... I remember sitting, having a cup of coffee, and he sat down at the like a like an American diner kind of counter next to me, and I I said hello and told him I love the album, but he, he wasn't particularly talkative. Um, and the next time I saw him, he was playing a gig in London, and then after that. I saw him again when he was playing a gig in London, but this time I was actually the sound engineer for that gig at a at a little place called the Troubadour in Earl's Court in London, um, which incidentally is where it, it's where Paul Simon played his first gig in um, in the UK, I believe. So that was really good. He played, that was an acoustic gig. So just him on guitar and then also Steve Newman from um, Tenanas. Um, So the two of them were touring together. And I recorded that gig and I then offered 
to give the recording. I said to Tony Cox, well, I'm, I've recorded the gig and I'm happy to send you a copy. And he declined because he he, he just said, well, um, generally these recordings sound rubbish and he won't do anything with it and whatever. Um, I still have the recording and if you if you hear this, Tony, you can still have a copy. Um, it sounds great. Um, I, I think it sounds great. I've compared it to some of your official live releases um, and it sounds just as good. Um, I did get, I did after recording it I did go home and I actually mixed it and everything so but it's just it's 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 an album that opened my ears and my mind to a different kind of music um, it's very African infused Kwekwe infused um, acoustic guitar playing with full band and, and great instrumentation and, and and lots of other people on it um, so highly recommended. It's available on Google Music. It is on Spotify as well. Um, it's Tony Cox and the album's Cool Friction. So um, yeah, definitely go and listen to that. I'd say my favourite tracks are track three and four, Tender Roso and You Asked For It. I remember You Asked For It. He does a thing with a delay pedal and that's the bit that really got me hooked at the gig when I first saw him. Um, so yeah, go and listen to that. And with that, um, I'll leave you for this week um, with these thoughts and ideas. And hopefully you'll join me again next week. And let me pull in your coat. Mm-hmm.